The threat of an economic downturn is shaking up consumers and small business owners. A recent survey taken by Goldman Sachs found 93%, 93% of small businesses fear a recession and 89% are affected by inflation, supply chain issues and workforce challenges. So it's about making a choice between what is the short term and the medium term so that we can make sure we have enough oil and gas to support us through the transition. And what are the kind of that would have long-term consequences when we don't want uh, new major projects that would take 20, 30 years to, to become profitable. So we have to make that differentiation to make sure that the American consumer has what it needs to grow, to grow our economy and the global economy, but not take steps and endanger the climate uh, work that we're trying to do to make sure that we're on a better footing to accelerate the transition. The nation's climate czar, yeah, we have one, John Kerry, called out for being an energy hypocrite. Federal data now showing Kerry's massive carbon footprint because his family's gas-guzzling private jet has racked up 48 trips since President Biden was sworn in. John Kerry's family ride has put out more than 300 metric tons of carbon dioxide. I looked it up at the EPA website. That is equivalent to driving 747,000 miles in a gas-fueled vehicle. One more point of hypocrisy. Right now, the White House is pushing massive spending to kill fossil fuels, making gas scarce. Today, we manage $8.5 trillion. I hope you realize that that's quite a, that Countries do not have that. No, but none of it is our money. Not a, any of it is our money. It's, Look, what I can say is there is no stop in Joe Biden when it comes to climate action. Um, that's been the case uh, since day one of this administration. When I walked through the doors, uh, it's been the case every single day as we've moved out uh, to accelerate clean energy and electric vehicles. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 93 here on Thursday, July 21st. And you're not going to get COVID if you're vaccinated, Mike. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. <laughs> and I'm Mike McKenna, who's still, la still laughing <laughs> off that one. I, it's unfortunate to, that, that the president contracted COVID, but... It's a good lesson in being careful what you talk about, right? Indeedy, sir. So, um, as Mike just said, our beloved president has COVID. It was just announced today. And I want to read a statement from the administration. This morning, President Biden tested positive for COVID-19. He's fully vaccinated and twice boosted and experiencing very mild symptoms. He has been in contact with members of the White House staff by phone this morning and will participate in his planned meetings at the White House this morning via phone and Zoom from the residence. Out of an abundance of transparency, the White House will provide a daily update on the president's status as he continues to carry out the full duties of the office while in isolation. Mike, I I'm not sure there's a difference here between <laughs> between pre and post COVID president Biden in terms of his duties of office. <laughs> the schedule today, cause I did, you know, I, you know, I read the schedule every day just because the sense of the news. It's a very short brief. It's a very short 
uh, read, right? Well, yeah, but the schedule today, he was going to get his presidential daily briefing at like 9.30 or after, you know, Wheaties. And then um, and then he was flying up to Wilkes-Barre to do some speech in Pennsylvania. I can't remember on what. Yeah, yeah, because he's from there. He's from Scranton, remember? Right. No, although guys from Wilkes-Barre would punch you in the mouth if you said they were from Scranton. Um, but so he was going to Wilkes-Barre, and then um, he was going home to Delaware, like right from Wilkes-Barre. He's just going to say, you know what? F it. Let's just take Friday off. You know, what difference does it make? It, 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 <laughs> I just thought that this guy's not halfway through and he's already given up. He's taking Fridays off. Right? <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's a short timer. He's a, just a short timer. So yeah. There's, there's well, how much, how much is left in this first term? Oh, geez, we still got 20, 30 months. We still got like 30 months in this thing. Yeah, man. This is, this is a little bit crazy. Yeah. The scary part was uh, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of uh, memes on Twitter. I was like, "Are you ready for Kamala?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it you know it, it, there's some there's some dark humor there, right? All right. So, any announcements for you from you? Any announcements for me? Um, yes, I wanna I wanna give a quick shout out to the folks who listen to us in Houston. Um, you guys know who you are and you know why I need to um, be opaque. So um, keep up the good work and we'll try to keep being informative. I would like to congratulate Nasty Nestor Cortez for what? solid inning of pitching at the All-Star Game. Did you actually watch the All-Star Game? I did not. I, I've caught, I caught all of the highlights afterwards. But more importantly, he, he asked his beloved to marry him right after the game and she said yes wow so congratulations nasty nestor on your engagement and one of his fans said on twitter how many times did he fake going down to one knee before actually doing the deed <laughs> i have to be honest with you he's he's like other than me he's perhaps the ugliest male i've ever seen so i i, I you know the generosity of females never ceases to amaze me how about i say it that way uh, his wife is very attractive and very happy N numerous pictures showing sure. the ring and uh you know hey this is, this is like this is like a dream come true for this guy right pitching in the all-star game great. i mean i say he's having a great year and he's got a, and he's got a good mustache exactly um okay so uh, where do we start i want to start actually let me start with a, a poll okay and and i and i'm gonna i'm not gonna butcher that quinnipiac 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 all right quinnipiac poll this is july 20th yesterday Biden approval hits new low amid public discontent with both parties. Quinnipiac University National Poll finds. One and a half years since President Joe Biden took off as Americans give President Biden a negative 31 to 60 job approval rating, the lowest score of his presidency, according to QPAC University National Poll of Adults released today. Republicans 94 to 2 approval, disapproval, approval, independent 67, 23. 
Democrats 7118 registered voters give President Biden a negative 3359% approval rating, his lowest among registered voters ever in a QPAC University national poll. Americans were asked about President Biden's handling of the response to the coronavirus. 50 approved, 43 disapproved. The response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, 40 approved, 52 disapproved. Foreign policy, 32 approved, 55 disapproved. Gun violence, a stronghold for the Democrats, 32% approved, while 61% disapproved. And here's the kicker, the economy, 28% approved, while 66% disapproved. I'm sorry, how many approved? 28. But like, who are they? What the hell are they looking at? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, there's, you know, the terrible thing about polling is um, everybody's a copycat. So once you start getting stuff like this, you start getting stuff like this. It's, um, it's, um, there's no recovering from it, right? And it's not like he's going to yeah. bounce back or have some magic, magic thing that's going to lift him. This is this is where he's going to be, right? You know, he's yeah. You know, but and, but but to your point, weeks and weeks and weeks of us offering up to our listeners polling information. Here is the status of the midterms among registered voters. If the election were held today, forty-five percent said they would want to see the Democrats win control of the House, while 44 say the Republican Party and 11% did not offer an opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that, that you know, that generic ballot, I mean, like you say, we talk about it, it seems like we talk about it every week. It probably deserves to be talked about every week. Um, the Republicans' inability to explain what they would do differently or better, um, coupled maybe with the Trump overhang, is doing some damage, right? And um, I think we're gonna win like 32, 33, 34 seats. I don't think we're gonna win 60. I don't think we're in net 60. Um, and that's just that, right? And we're now starting to get pretty deep. I know it doesn't seem like it. We're pretty deep into this cycle, right? We're we're 90 days out from, well, we're 100 days out from, from um, game day. You know, we're gonna have people start voting here in, in earnest in about 30, 40 days, right? No early voting. So yeah, we're, 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 we're getting on to where we're, where we are going to be at the end of the cycle. So um, I, I think that's, that's start that, that, that number in the, in the three dozen range is starting to firm up in my own head. And I think probably in reality too. Okay. I call this, <laughs> I call this segment chips and dip dips. According to Punchbowl news, the overall price tag of the New chips led new and improved chips legislation is drum roll, please. Do you know the answer, Mike? $250 billion. Boom! <laughs> when it went from 51 billion to 250 billion in two days. It, and the CBO apparently is, is calling it a $79 billion hit to the deficit. So Joe Biden keeps talking about how he's reducing the deficit and hence getting rid of inflation. How, how does he comport with this? And how, how is it that the 
that the Senate went from a $50 billion bill, which is basically a giveaway to $250 billion piece of legislation in what, three legislative days? Yeah. Uh, not only that, the thing's like a thousand pages. So God only knows what else is in there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, here, here's a quick summary. The, um, uh, the amendment filed on Tuesday is now a thousand pages, as you mentioned. There's 39 billion in quote financial assistance to build, expand, and modernize our domestic semiconductor facilities up to $6 billion uh, for direct loans or loan guarantees, because these companies somehow need government loans and government loan guarantees, $11 billion towards, quote, advanced research and development programs in the Commerce Department, $2 billion for national defense tech applications or workforce training, uh, $80 billion, eight zero for the National Science Foundation for the next five years, 10 billion for um, quote unquote regional technology hubs, the advanced research and high tech manufacturing programs under NSIT. Oh, and the energy department gets billions for advanced research programs in a variety of areas, including fusion and lasers. Yeah. Lasers. Yeah. So our, our buddy, Dr. Evil, will be very proud. I saw the fusion thing that cracked me up. Um, it, it, I, that's what would, by the way, that's just what the authors of the bill want you to know. Like I said, there's no telling what's in the rest of the bill. I, I guarantee you there's some, something horrible in this legislation, something terrible. I just guarantee you. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, this is, this is why that us conservatives and free market types always always roll our eyes whenever you hear the, the whole thing like oh the republicans are, are coming to the rescue because <laughs> they're in on it they're in on it it's a feeding frenzy just like it has been every other time one of these things pops up well you know? let, 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 let's go back to the conversation we just finished about why the republicans haven't sealed the deal in this election cycle it's because of stuff like this it's, you know, it's because people look at it now, like, what's the difference between these two parties? Really? What's the difference? All right. I'm going to switch gears for a moment because I want to um, talk about your, uh, a recent column that you wrote in the Washington times it has nothing to do with energy, nothing to do with politics. Uh, our, our, our friends at the times who have generously sponsored our podcast, you wrote a piece called celebrating 40 years at the washington times an important contrarian voice in the media landscape yeah. on, may, on may 16 1982 the media world was dominated by the editors and other gatekeepers at just a handful of major media organizations the new york times routinely set the national agenda the television networks built their news broadcasts around these stories and other participants in the legacy media followed their lead. These gatekeepers, monochromatic in tone, temperament, beliefs, experience, and education were a pretty well-run conspiracy against the American public and a bulwark against any threat of a truly operational First Amendment. The next day, May 17, 1982, 
the Washington Times published its first edition and helped change all of that. Mike, turn it over to you. Um, yeah, right, 40th anniversary. I had expected the paper was going to do some kind of great big giant blowout. And, you know, as best I know, I'm the only columnist who wrote anything about it. But the reason why I wrote it was because I actually, all those things are true, right? You know, before the time showed up, it's difficult to remember, but people of a certain age, if you think about it, the times was the first breakup of the monopoly of the New York Washington legacy media operation there before Rush Limbaugh, before Fox, before the internet, right? Before any of this stuff, Washington Times was the first guy raised their hand, first group to raise their hand and say, I think you guys are wrong. Um, and to offer uh, a platform for alternative and contrarian voices. And I, I, I remember very clearly as a young person thinking it would be super cool to have a column in the Times one day. So, um, and now it's one day and it's- It's more than one day for you, sir. Your dream has come true. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been fun. What, what surprised me is, what surprised me is, is that literally no other columnist wrote it. I'm like, dude, these guys are giving you like golden space once or twice a week. At least you could do is say something nice about them, especially yeah. if it's true. Right. It's not like it's not like you're having to write something nice about the Washington Post or the New York Times. You know, this 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 paper is Washington Times. Right. It has been a, a oftentimes lonely sentinel for the last 40 years. You know, yeah. and, and it deserves celebration. Yeah, well, let me close with this here. For my own part, I've wanted to write a column for the Times since I was first I first started reading it way back in 1982. Like most of the folks who work at the paper, I'm proud to have small way in its important work. Here's 40 more years of being an important forum, a contrarian voice, a truth teller, a challenge to the status quo, and a leader. Now, your byline is fantastic, except it doesn't say and co-host of the Unregulated <laughs> Podcast. So, Washington Times, can you please add that, please? That's, that's my fault. You know what? I need to change that shirt tail. That's my fault. I'll do that. All right. Okay, so there's lots of drama in both New York City and in the nation capital. I don't know. Have you heard? Have you heard what's going on there? Let me let me let me let me tee it up for you with a clip from Mayor Adams. This is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our, uh, uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services. There's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce. And that's why we need, we need help and getting this done and we need to write coordination to so apparently uh Ms. The, the mayor is concerned about the influx of illegal aliens in new york as a quote unquote real burden on new york city resources yeah yeah but he also said in a tweet um in 20 uh june 3rd uh, 2021 New York City is and has always been a city of immigrants. We are a destin destination for diversity 
in a place where people from every nation seek refuge, raise families, and enrich our communities. Under my administration, our government will reflect that. Okay. Uh, good luck to you. <laughs> well, I mean, there's also a, um, some concern in, in the District of Columbia as well uh, uh, about this. Yeah, the mayor. And here is our, our beloved mayor, Muriel Bowser. Yeah. A Washington Post reported last week that homeless shelters in D.C. were filling up um, and groups were getting overwhelmed by these buses that the governors of Texas and, and Arizona are sending here full of migrants. How significant is this influx? How many people? Well, this is a very significant issue. Uh, we have for sure called on the federal government uh, to work across state lines to prevent um, people from really being tricked uh, into getting on buses. Uh, we, we think they're largely asylum seekers uh, who are going to final destinations that are not Washington, D.C. Uh, I worked with the White House to make sure that FEMA provided a grant to a local organization um, that is providing services to folks, um, but I fear that they're being uh, tricked into nationwide um, bus trips when their final destinations are places all over the United States of America. They're being tricked, Michael. You know, um, it, it's kind of, it's bad when somebody who's committed multiple um, felonies gets tricked by the government. I feel bad about that. Yeah, um, it's terrible, right? You know, the, the funny thing is, and this, this is something that nobody's thinking about with this, what the Texans would, would Abbott, I mean, I know Abbott did this as a political stunt, but the, the border states, right, the four border states have been trying desperately to argue that the border crisis is an American crisis, right? It's not a border crisis. It's not, it doesn't just affect the four states on the border. It ultimately affects everybody's hometown because these, um, these people who have committed crimes to come into the country eventually wind up everywhere. And this is kind of um, making that point, right? And all of a sudden, folks like Mayor Adams and, and Mayor Bowser are like, "Wait a minute! I don't. This is not. This is not my problem." And and you know, I'm sure if I was a Texan, I'd be like, "Yeah, it is your problem." And and we're just making the point for you. So it's it's like I said, it started off as a political stunt, but I think it's like an educable moment at this point. Well, I mean, and the larger point is this. These, these people are so like high and mighty and so hypocritical, right? Like as soon as it becomes a real problem for them, they have to address it and deal with it. When it's a hypothetical problem or it's not their problem, they, they like finger, you know, wag and like, you know, score, scold everybody else for not being as tolerant or as acceptable as they are. And it's, you can hear it in their voices. Like, good on the governor like you know what you here you go you you're the one who wants you welcome welcome this problem with open arms take them they're I'm yours good. it's it, you want you want the problem it's all yours yeah exactly yeah, I, I um <laughs> i knew this was eventually going to be a problem i didn't realize the government the mayors were going to be dopey enough to say something on the record about it they're being tricked michael they're being tricked the mayors are in fact being tricked because they have no idea like what what they're doing right they're just confused asylum seekers it you know it's whatever the, i 
I'm not sure. I mean, New York's going to survive because it's an important city and Washington's going to survive because it's the capital of the country. But I'm not sure how any city that's getting run by the Democrats now, and that's most of our big cities. I don't know how they're all not going to eventually wind up being Detroit. I really don't. All right. So uh, earlier in the show, I, I played a, a, as part of our opening clips, a, a little blurb from Larry Fink, who, yeah. as you all know, is one of my least favorite people on the planet, the, uh, the CEO or manager or chairman or whatever his name is of BlackRock, which um, and he mentioned that they they manage about eight point five trillion dollars in assets. Um, interestingly enough, which he, by the way, went on to say, but none of it's ours. So he's spending your money on his ESG crusade. But guess what? About a month ago, uh, actually prior to the first quarter of this year, they were a $10 trillion asset. They managed $10 trillion in assets. So they lost, here's from Bloomberg, BlackRock is breaking the wrong kind of records Clients of the world's largest asset manager lost an unprecedented $1.7 trillion in the first half's market carnage. BlackRock is used to breaking records. This is from Mark Rubenstein of Bloomberg. The world's largest asset manager was the first firm to break through $10 trillion of assets under management. But the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And this year, BlackRock chalked up another record, the largest amount of money lost by a single firm over a six-month period. In the first half of this year, $1.7 of clients' money. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this ESG stuff. And the problem is, is it's not that it's, it's not ESG, right? There's no, no government thing that's going to make it ESG. It's these three fund managers, right? The guy, Larry Fink from BlackRock, um, the guy from Vanguard, whose name I can never remember, and, um, and State Street, right? Um, and the answer is not to, the answer is not, I know we're, we're, we're you know, the right has now become the, the government party, so our answer is to do something on the government side. But a better answer is, is to get everybody to divest from these three funds. If you don't like the way they're run, you gotta divest. Um, and your point about, you know, hey, you just, you literally just lost 20% of your value. You know, that the reason why people go into these funds is to not get subject to the broader market, um, to not lose 20% when the market sells off. Um, it, it's, these three funds are annoyances, right? 10 years from now, they won't be the three biggest funds. Somebody else will be the three biggest funds. But for right now, they're a problem. And I think, Fink must understand that, right? That he's got a public relations problem because he has been careful in the last year or so to reel back in his comments on China and, you know, the sense that he is in charge of the money, right? That he, you know, he's just, he's gone back to talking about, he's just a steward. He does not an owner. Yeah. So, it's not my money. Remember, it's not my money. But, yeah. but, uh, but just a year ago, he was like, well, you know, we have to change behavior. We have to force behavioral changes. Right. Like I said, some, yeah. sometime in the last 15 months, some PR guy has got to him. Somebody in his house, somebody outside his house has gotten to him and said, hey, man, you are about to become the face of 
ESG when the Republicans take the House, and you're going to wind up in a world of trouble, and it's going to hurt your business. Well, to that end, let me play a nice clip from CNBC of our good friend, Senator Tom Cotton. Senator Cotton recently wrote a letter to BlackRock raising questions about the company's ESG activities, and we want to thank him for joining us. And that's where I want to go with this conversation, Senator, because you have been uh, outspoken um, and recently, as we said, just wrote this letter to BlackRock, effectively saying that their policies um, and their power and influence over companies around ESG are too much. What, what's the argument you're making? And then, and then we can maybe dig into it. Well, Andrew, what Larry Fink and BlackRock have done in part uh, through collusion with this climate action partnership is essentially create a climate cartel. They are trying to suppress investment in the fossil fuel industry in America. And I know you have a lot of CEOs and investors who watch. I would just say this. If you're thinking about joining this climate cartel, you better think again and you better lawyer up. There's a reason why America's top law firms are already advising their clients to be wary here because this is contributing to $5 a gallon gas. And when Republicans take charge in November, I'm going to make sure that the Congress is investigating these matters. Well, there you have it, sir. Yeah, it has... It is the the quiet part out loud. Kind of kind of scary when me and Tom Cotton are tracking, um, but it, <laughs> it, it's going to happen, right? There's good. The, the thing is, this is hard for people to to understand a lot of times, especially foreigners. Americans have a natural resistance to the 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 um, favorites, the winners, the overdogs, right? We prefer the underdogs, the smaller guys, the scrappier guys. Which means once you've been identified as one of the three, Rocky baby, yeah. Which means once you've been identified as one of the three Apollo creeds in financial land, people are going to be like, yeah, let's take a look at those guys a little closer. Let's put one of these guys under the microscope and see what happens. So it's like it's it's in our it's in our DNA, and layer on top of that, the very accurate point that Cotton makes, which is essentially these guys were involved in a financial cartel to starve oil and gas of of investment. And in a world where you got four and a half dollar gas or five dollar gas, it, there's some serious political risk here. Yeah, well, you know, you, you can thank uh, the administration for lo <laughs> for lowering the price of gas by 50 cents uh, uh, or whatever it is. Here, here's uh, my favorite guy, Larry Fink's buddy and joe biden's buddy and prior to both of them barack obama's buddy can you guess who it is i was gonna say let me stop you we're about to hear from brian deese aren't we? you are about to hear him taking full credit hold on well we've now seen gas prices fall for 34 straight days they're down about 50 cents uh that's positive what it means is that for a typical household you're probably generating savings about 50 dollars a month <laughs> so, 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 so the administration is really good at taking no blame for the increase in gasoline prices, which are still two dollars higher than the day he took office. But man, are they quick to take credit for the for the decrease in the price of gasoline? Um, if I, I'm pleased that they acknowledge they have something to do with the price of gasoline because now we can proceed along those lines and have a conversation about it. 
about all the ways, what are you up to now, Tom? 100, 110 ways in which they have managed to stick a spear in the American consumer. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, as you know, uh, shortly after the West Virginia versus EPA Supreme Court case, and shortly after Senator Joe Manchin, a reasonable and somewhat uh, surprisingly standing firm although always giving himself a little wiggle room, Democrat Joe Manchin said, I am not voting to increase the deficit. I'm not voting for tax increases right now. Therefore, the climate provisions of build back something are gone, uh, prompted President Biden to have a big, stern, strong statement about climate change and then uh, sent out, out his surrogates, including our good friend from Boston, Gina McCarthy is going to make it clear that just because Congress couldn't get it done, he is going to move forward with every power available to him to make the change in the shift to clean energy. He's going to make it. And then she said, to which she then said, excuse me, I have to run now. I'm running late for my weekend trip to Boston, my weekend flight to Boston. Yeah, it, it, um, you know what's interesting about that that clip is the way she said Congress couldn't do anything. What she meant was Congress didn't. That's they could right. have. They had the authority to. They didn't have the votes. Why didn't they? Wait, wait uh, you took my punchline. Why didn't they? Why couldn't they, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it, it, they didn't have the votes. You know, and and you think in in the world, and this is this is I feel bad for these for the guys on the other side in a way because. In a world in which the administrative state is no longer supreme, it's really important for her to say, hey, that Congress couldn't. Well, the truth is they didn't, because now when they try to do something, everyone's going to be able to litigate it and say, hey, man, Congress considered this stuff and didn't do anything, which, as we all know, uh, a, a decision to not do something is, is, in fact, a decision to do something else. Right. You know, it, it, it's like that. So you can feel folks like Gene are trying to wander their way through this now really complicated landscape. And then, of course, as you point out, you know, were I a Republican congressman or senator, you know, the first thing I would probably um, introduce as soon as I get the majority would be a bill requiring transparency on carbon footprints among cabinet officials. Yeah, no shit. You know. That 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 would be informative. All right, you boys, you boys want to tell us how to live? Starting with special envoy Kerry. Starting with starting with um, Captain Jack. Yeah, absolutely. And Gina McCarthy, who flies home every weekend to Boston on an airplane. Um, hey, I I saw a tweet doing during my uh, pre-production work uh, from Nick DeLewis, uh, who was our friend at CNX. Thought I would read it to the folks and let you comment on it. IEA reports for the first time ever, Europe imported more natural gas from U.S. than Russia. U.S. domestic energy protects Republican democracies from totalitarianism. Yet our leaders in D.C. take orders from the left and enviros who demand domestic energy is crushed. Time to ask why. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, because of politics, right? Because they, because that's they got the they got the votes this last election, so that's why they take marching orders from their people who voted for them. Um, I, I have profoundly mixed feelings about all of this because 
you know, what, what for two reasons. One, one is practical, and that is you start getting into a conversation about exportation and whether it's a good idea. I guarantee you the left is going to come after us here shortly about crude oil exports, LNG exports, um, hell for all I know, coal exports, um, and refined product exports. It's a, it's a, it's a bad conversation to beg, right? I mean, I, I, it's one you can win, but it's a bad one to beg. Um, the second thing that bothers me about it all is, is that Europe is diverting cargoes from Asia and Africa. I mean, we have data, right? You, you, you watch it in real time that, that there's more cargoes going to Europe and fewer cargoes going to Asia and Africa and they're getting diverted. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're not in service of some Republican ideals in Europe. We are not saving democracy. What we are saving is the Germans from themselves. And, and, and call me odd, call me funny, call me weird, but I'm not really comfortable saving the Germans from anybody, especially yeah. The other thing that bothers me is that in addition to saving the Germans, the people with lots of long dated contracts now in LNG land, off takers, are the communist Chinese. And I get it, we wanna sell natural gas, but just like it makes me uncomfortable to buy solar panels from the Chinese, it makes me uncomfortable to sell things to the Chinese. Um, the communist Chinese. I yeah, guess. I mean, there's two things going on here, right? I mean, there's this sort of push-pull between market forces and what's in the national interest. I get what you're saying, but I also get what Nick's saying, which is you guys are, you know, you guys want a lot from us as an industry. But and going back to the point that uh, in the beginning clips where, where our good friend Amos from the State Department, which, by the way, is the is the job uh, uh, that I would have wanted in the Trump administration, where he's like, yeah, well, you know, you guys could produce oil for a few more years, but I, I don't want you in, investing in these projects that have like a 20 and 30 year ROI timeline, because that just messes with our agenda. So screw you on that. Just, you know, turn up the spigot a little bit now, and then we're going to screw you in about five years, you know? That was Amos, right? Yeah, Amos, our, our good buddy. you got to be kidding me. That is exactly, that was him. That's dumb. I mean, I, when, I, when I listened to it, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's your buddy. Yeah, boy. I'm, look, I, I understand the CNX guys. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quibbling with them. I, I get what he's saying. He's like, hey, guys. You, you know, we are the break glass in case of emergency guys. What I'm, what I'm quibbling with is our general national policy of bailing out the lousy decisions of other people on this planet. Um, and, you know, starting with the Germans and moving to the communist Chinese, um, you know, it is not my fault that the Germans went, went all in on wind energy. It's not my damn fault. And it shouldn't be anybody's fault. And it's the people who are bearing the brunt of it are legitimate friends of ours in Africa and legitimate yes. friends of ours in Asia. I, I agree with you on that on that front. I, I would also say this too. We need to learn from this garbage, right? Like you, our listeners need to understand. We're 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 showing you what we're telling you is these guys want to double down on the stupid that Europe has done. That's their whole objective. 
you know, I mean, I look, I'll, I'll make it simple. If, if, if we could sell LNG to, um, if we could sell LNG to the South Koreans or the Japanese or the Germans, guess, guess where I'm voting a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. And, and I have to be honest with you. I think if I asked everybody in a survey, they'd probably say the same thing. I'm like, Hey, you know, of the, of the world war two of the, of the nations defeated in war, that we defeated in world war two, who are you more inclined to help the Japanese or the Germans? Everybody would say the Japanese because nobody likes the Germans. Nobody. <laughs> With good reason. A bunch of they are at, you know, they, they have consistently been arrogant about this. And now all these chickens are coming home to roost. And, you know, I have yet to hear, I have yet to hear one, one German person, one German official say, Hey, we made a mistake. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This is something we brought on ourselves. This is not something that just happened to us, right? It's not an earthquake. It's not a hurricane. It's not a tornado. It's not a pandemic. This is this is a this is a result of government and societal action. Yeah. Sorry, I mean to get off on that. It's all good. It's all good. Now I want to shift gears really quickly because in my research for this week, I I still find some doozies every now and then from the most recent uh, "Let Them Eat Cake" Davos meeting. Yeah. And this is from our uh, the the monkey whisperer, the the chimp whisperer, Jane Goodall. Ready for this? Yep. We cannot hide away from human population growth because you know it underlies so many of the other problems. All these things we talk about wouldn't be a problem if there were if there was the size of population that there was five hundred years ago. Now, given that we're a numbers organization here at the American Energy Alliance and the Institute for Energy Research, do you know what the population was 500 years ago? Well, I'm going to bet probably 2 million people. No, no. Four, between 420 and 540. Million? Yeah. Okay. Do you know how many, yeah, many fewer people that is than today? Yeah, we got about eight billion people on. That's six point seven billion fewer people today no, than today. I'm gonna say. It's, so it's, uh, does she want to wipe out six points? Is she like the? It, turns out she's actually Thanos. Well, or worse, because that's way more than half. So, so I think I bored you with this story, right? I, occasionally, I stumble into this question in focus groups, right? I mean, I never ask, but people sometimes say, you know overpopulation when I ask about environmental problems or like overpopulation. And I always ask the same follow-up question. I'm like, okay, who should we kill? And yeah, well, I don't want to kill anybody. I'm like, well, you just identified overpopulation as a problem, right? The only cure for it is to start popping people. No, no, no. I just mean people should not be allowed to give birth or we should minimize the number of babies. I'm like, okay, who should not be allowed to give birth? or whose numbers a baby should be minimized. You know, you get very quickly into some really, really dark territory. And, um, you know, I, I, I always say the same thing. The world's overpopulated. You personally should do something about that. Right, right. right. You first. You yeah. first. Well, maybe Jane should volunteer, right? That's what I'm saying. You first, Jane. You, you, yeah. know, you, you commit Harry Carey, and I'm sure lots of people will follow your example. So, so President Biden flew on Air Force One from D.C. to Massachusetts prior to 
uh, contracting COVID, which he claims he never would have gotten because he's vaccinated. Um, and boosted. Don't forget the Do you know who was on it? Don't forget what? Don't forget boosted. He's boosted too. Oh, yes, and boosted. And he's you know, taking the uh, uh, whatever that, that stuff is. Do you know who was on the plane with him? The the Air Force One carbon spewing massive G- uh, airliner that carries the president around. I assume Gina Sheldon Whitehouse. I assume Gina came along for the ride. Elizabeth Warren and Markey. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on, right? Yeah, the whole the whole delegation. Actually, that's pretty standard stuff, right? You take the delegation with you, and yeah. the members love it, right? They just yeah. love it. But get all get old carbon carbon crusaders, climate crusaders, Ed Markey, Elizabeth Warren, Sheldon Whitehouse, Gina McCarthy. Of course, she just like she just said, Oh, thanks for the ride. I'm going home now from here. So uh so but that's not as bad. Uh Kylie Jenner, who has been very outspoken and 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 concerned about the climate. Um, there is a there's a Twitter feed, there's a Twitter page called Celeb Jets. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, well, they you shouldn't. It's 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 just for geeks like me, but they actually track the um jet um trips that uh you know famous people take. Yeah. Do you know who is a frequent jet? Uh, um, do you know who <laughs> she frequently flies from Camarillo, California to uh like Thousand Oaks area? Do you know how long her flight time is? Like, that be like 10 minutes. 12. <laughs> what the hell? 12 minutes. According to, to, to they did the, you know, doing a, uh, you know, Google map, or it's a 40 minute drive without traffic. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say she does. It's it. a 40 minute drive without traffic. She does it to avoid the traffic. Yeah. So I'll, I will put that in the show notes just, just for folks to see the flight path, the whole 12 minute jet ride. So I'm telling you, we need it. We need some legislation about carbon footprints. <laughs> we need some transparency. We need some visibility into this stuff. Uh, all right. So during uh, President Biden, by the way, I don't know if you saw the backdrop for this, this climate speech he gave. Yeah, the bridge, the bridge over, over yeah, the. Over I mean, the it was surreal. Like, there are pictures of his, like, his motorcade, like, you know, kicking up dust everywhere. It was like a moonscape, right? I'm not sure exactly what they were going for, but um, apparently, uh, it was revealed at this at this uh, press conference that he has cancer. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also not but he also has asthma for the exact same reason. So uh, I'm going to play this clip and. Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. And I, we, I, when I went to a small little school that was about uh, a mile from the apartment complex we lived in and a little school called Holy Rosary. And I, you couldn't walk to school because although it was a four lane access highway, it was just too dangerous to cross some of the streets. And my mother would get, and when it came spring, I mean, it came in fall, this is the God's truth. And you get in the car, there's a little frost on the window, turn on the windshield wiper, there'd be an oil slick, not a joke. I have asthma and 80% of the people who, in fact, we grew up with have asthma. 
I just in an apartment complex when we moved to Delaware and just up the road to a little school I went to, Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? It had to put on their windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I had so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. Yeah. President Biden, I, I wish you a speedy recovery for both your COVID, your asthma, yeah. and your cancer. Okay, so the so okay, for, first off, as we've discussed before, anytime he says some modifier like God's truth or not a joke. Not a joke. You know you're being I'm, lied not, to. I'm not kidding. It's not hyperbole. You know you're being lied to. So that's one. Two is um you know this gap thing and we make fun of the we make fun of the old guy and, and we probably should but um president of the united states says he has cancer right on previous undisclosed and the white house kind of shrugged it off as a gaffe you know, well you know clearly he meant that he had cancer i'm like dude that's not what he said and it's not even close to what he said and he didn't hitch right it wasn't like one of those you know like me and a bunch of my friends have had had or had you know he didn't hitch on he just ran right through it like it was a regular sentence um we're starting to edge into some some territory that should get everybody concerned either he did or he is now um starting to i don't want to say remember things that aren't there or or think of things you know his his temporal timeline is getting scrambled Okay. Right. Well, it's, it goes back to our point about like just pulling up this garbage, you know, like it's literally the same speech, but it, you know, he had to up the ante a little because of the moment. Right. It, it, it's, it's shocking. It's alarming. People should be horrified and, and the media should be very, very critical of this and asking a lot of questions, but they don't. Because, yeah. You know, it's Joe, it's just Joe. And that was the point I was going to make that if we had a functioning, if we had a functioning legacy media, somebody would have said, "Hey, you know what? Can we, can we, um, can we talk to his doctors, right? Can we talk to his doctors, um, and we want to, you know, whip one of those guys out for a press conference and get, let's get some questions down on this about about the about cancer, about COVID, about." And let's let's be honest about early stage dementia, right? Because that's the first early stage of dementia. You get your timeline screwed up about what happened when and what's still operative. And anybody who's dealt with a with an older relative, you feel the warning signs. I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not I'm not diagnosing the president. I'm not qualified to diagnose the president. On the other hand, I'm not the person who said, "Yeah, you know, me and my friends have cancer." And I also didn't vote for him either. So. The, the folks, the the eighty five million people who voted for him, it's it's um need to ask themselves, you know, it, are they happy they're not getting angry tweets anymore? Seriously, let me cross the T and dot the I on this thing. Um, you know what I'm going to say about the visual on the Somerset thing. Um, this is the most incompetent White House I've ever seen. I'm I'm starting to concur with you. I I, I keep waiting for something good. For them something that they do that like, like wow you guys nail you guys nail like just as an observer of politics right like wow out of the park right 
the funny thing is, here's the thing, right? This it's a Braden Point, right? Which is a Braden Point used to be a great big giant coal plant right there on Fall River, right north of Fall River. Um, I've been there. I've been there three or four times, right? It it um, it looks like a power plant site, right? When they announced they were doing it at Braden Point, I'm like, why? There's so many more attractive places to do it in. Even former, I mean, I would have picked the power, even in New England. Because some some idiot young person there said, I know, we'll make the, we'll make the background look as harsh as possible so people see the, the ravages of climate change. Well, okay, see, now I have a slightly different take on what I'd have done, right? Like Mount Tom, Mount Tom was a smaller power plant um, near a mountain, as you might imagine, Mount Tom. Um, but it has been subsequently decommissioned, torn down, and is um, uh, growing woods there, right? It's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a nature preserve, but it's, it's uh, some kind of segregated off land, right? It's, 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 it's protected. Beautiful spot. You wouldn't know there was a plant there unless you knew it, um, right? I would go there. And I would say, hey, look, you know, I, I know everybody worries about transitions, but this is what transitions could look like. It's not just that I disagree with them. It's I, I think they're just bad at their jobs. And you know, there was a there's an article. I know you got other things to get to, so I'll be quick. There was an article in Politico two days ago, three days ago. Anita Dunn is interviewing basically for a new communications team. And, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, we are seriously a hundred days out from a, what's going to be a very tough midterm. It, everyone's abandoned ship, and I guarantee you. There's nobody out there who's, you know, who's going to want to come in. You know, all the good Democratic PR guys are sitting out in PR land making $400,000 a year doing nothing except having lunch. They're not going to want to come into this, tra this train, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I I'm, I'm super curious about how this train, even Anita Dunn, who's doing the interviewing, doesn't want to come in. I mean, you think about this for 10 seconds. Anita Dunn is going right back to SDK, SKDK Knickerbocker. She hasn't even committed to the White House, right? She's like an yeah. employee. I'm like, if I was interviewing with her, my first question would be, you know, hey, why aren't you staying? If this right. is important to you, why aren't you staying? Right, exactly. It, 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 it's, it's even interviewing, even that, they can't do it right. It's just crazy. Sorry. Sorry. It's good. It's good. Now, um, not to, no, it's no problem. Not to change the subject, but this just came on the wire here. The statement from President, former President Donald Trump, Joe Biden, who many have said is our worst president, has come <laughs> down with a case of the China virus, despite being vaccinated. I hope Sleepy Joe was able to bounce back quickly, much as I was. Doctors describe my fight against the China virus as Herculean, and not meaning the woke Disney Hercules, but rather the Kevin Sorbo one. <laughs> The Lou Ferrigno one as well. <laughs> Joe, I wish you a speedy recovery, even though you are taking America in the wrong direction. No one wants Kamala. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see our president has some empathy. Our former president, Donald Trump, has some empathy. Golly, it's going to be such a fun race. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. Good God in heaven. All right. We are, I'm sure we're running really long. We might have a lot of edits because we're both recording from undisclosed locations with spotty internet. So our producer 
might have his work cut out for us, but uh, I want to play this one clip. Wait a minute. Is this your last one? Yeah. You got some, you got some items that, that you want to bring up? Two things real quick. One, it both that happened in the last uh, 10 days. Um, 47 Republicans in the house voted for the um, Democrats Re respect marriage act, right? Which repealed the defense of marriage act and essentially would require federal recognition of any state um, recognizes any arrangement and calls it a marriage. Um, it's a huge problem. And, you know, the fact that everybody in you, the four, the four Utahns in the delegation voted for, you know, all, all house, all the house guys in the Utah delegation voted for it tells you that there's a lot of mayhem coming our way. Um, those 47 Republicans are probably going to regret that vote. And you know what? I should probably just take the word probably off of that. They're going to regret that vote. Um, that's thing one. Thing two is a more happier note. Um, uh, Republican State Leadership Committee, which is, you know, I think they're the best guys in the world um, at, at state operatives, state political operatives. They um, released a batch of surveys that they had done in four um, four states where the Democrats own both houses of the legislature, Washington, Oregon, Maine, and I can't remember, uh, Minnesota. Yeah, um, I think it was. Anyway, long story short, there is Republicans were ahead in the generic ballot on three of them and were within the margin of error in the state of Washington. I'm not saying Nevada, I'm sorry, was the fourth one. I'm not saying the Republicans are gonna win, are gonna take the state legislative bodies in those states, but it's gonna be a heck of a close election there. And the reason I mention it is for two reasons. First off, Republicans control 62 of 99 state houses, state legislative bodies. I think at the end of this election, we're probably going to control closer to 68 or 70 even. Mm -hmm. um, that's one, right? So we're going to do a lot better at the state level than, than we're doing at the federal level. Okay. Also, um, competitive races in Nevada and in perhaps in the state of Washington, it could be that the state legislative races pull those Republican senator, Senate candidates through to victory yeah. in, in, in Nevada. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, that could be how it goes. Um, so Nevada, especially Washington, which is a long shot on the Patty Murray thing, but um, like we talked last week, possible. So anyway, that, yeah. that, that survey data came, came up and I thought it was interesting. Very interesting. And, and we continue to say, maybe we should shut up and let it, let it just be, be the sleeper that we think it is, but uh, that could be the difference between the Republican and Democrat majority in the Senate. Yeah, we'll get into the Senate thing. We'll do we'll do a deeper dive on the Senate races next week, I promise. Okay, well, this is my final and last clip. And the last clip I'll ever play of the former, soon-to-be former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I want to thank you, Mr. Speaker. I want to thank all the wonderful staff of the House of Commons. I want to thank all my friends and colleagues. I want to thank my rival friend uh, opposite, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I want to thank everybody here and... Hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. Hasta la vista, Bojo. Such a weirdo. <laughs> and that is a wrap for episode number 93 of the Unregulated Podcast. Namaste. Hey.